welcome to the sermon podcast coming to you from Normandale Baptist Church, located at 2001 Chapel Creek Boulevard, Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Dean Brightman, one of the members here at Normandale, and we are so thankful that you've decided to listen here and seek to know Jesus better. If our sermons have been meaningful in any way, we want to invite you to support the ongoing ministry of Normandale. The easiest way is going to normandale.org forward slash give. And thanks for listening. Now, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Uh, is where we're going to be. Now, we are continuing in our series on the parables, our summer elder preaching series uh, that we began in June, and all of, all of our elders are preaching, or most of our elders are preaching through it. And so now I'm up this week and teaching on the parable of the lost sons. So while you're turning there, and if no shame, if you need to turn to the table of contents to find the Gospel of Luke, uh, it'll help you get there, New Testament, Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, big number 15. Now, uh, most of the time during the week, I, I don't focus well in my uh, office here. Um, I just get distracted with so many different things of like, oh, I need to get this done, or I need to work on this. And, and so if I want to really work on my sermons or something, I, I go to Panera Bread or somewhere else like that. And so I have their drink pass thing, so I feel like I'm like paying for my office there or whatever. And so I go to Panera Bread, and one day I was at Panera uh, over on 183, and I saw this girl drive past out the window, and her car was on, like, smoking. And so she, she pulled, pulled in the parking lot and then pulled in, into a, a parking spot behind Panera Bread uh, at this dentist's office right, right behind us. And, and after a minute, I turned around, and I was like, it's smoking. It's not, it's not looking good. She gets out of the car, comes into Panera, and uh, sits down. And after a couple of minutes, I turn around, and I'm looking at that car, and the smoke's getting real big. And then all of a sudden, there's flames in this car. And so I'm like, I'm starting to stud, you know, just trying to get back, not be super distracted. I need to work on my sermon. And, uh, and then after a minute, I see people, like, really inside the, inside the building are really getting worked up about what's happening out the window. And I turn around. The entire car was in an inferno. It was crazy, okay? So the flames were overtaking the entire vehicle. Terrible for this girl. Fascinating for me, okay? So as we're turning around, like I'm, like I'm sitting around, like everyone in the building is like wanting to look out at this car. Inferno's happening at the dentist office next to us. By the time the fire department gets there, the car is just a metal shell. That's all it is. The entire thing was burned up. Who knows how hot that thing was, but seeing flames like that, exciting, okay? And, uh, and so, why do I tell you this? Or what's going on? What's the lesson here? Well, sometimes, sometimes the right decision is to recognize your loss and jump ship, right? Like for that girl, she was like, hey, listen, my car's smoking. Something's not right here. The cabin of my car is filling up with, I, I need to get out of this thing and get into a different situation. And the same thing is true for us. Like sometimes you need to recognize that the path you're on or the place that you're in in life is not the best spot for you and you need to depart or get in a different position, get in a different place. Now, I'm telling you that because that's where we're at actually in Luke chapter 15. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us a parable, a story about a man who had two sons. And in the end, what they both needed to recognize was that their current place in life was not working. 
It wasn't adding up to what God desired for them, and so they needed to get out of the burning car and set a new course for their life. And so here, let's look at Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says this, He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who had sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here am I dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field as he came near to the house. He heard music and dancing, so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, they told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And so, Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. And so I pray that you would help us to understand, to see how you feel about people who are sinners and who repent. And that we would come to you to find your grace and out of love for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I was reviewing this sermon, thinking about it, editing it, uh, it kept expanding and expanding and expanding. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, how I think this is going to go, and I say think, uh, because uh, how I think this is going to go is that we're actually going to end up taking this parable in two weeks. And so, Uh, What I mean by that is this morning we're going to look at the younger son, and next week we're going to look at the older son. I think that's how we're going to do it because I think I have too many notes here for one Sunday, and I don't want to be here for an hour talking. So uh, I think that's how we're going to handle today, but we'll just see how it goes, okay? But here's here's the main points. Here's the the two sermons, this week's and next week's. We're going to see the son who rejects boundaries. 
We're going to see the Father who loves, and we're going to see the Son who rejects grace. The Son who rejects boundaries, the Father who loves, and the Son who rejects grace. So here's the context of what's happening here. So go back up, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, okay? Here's the context. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners, these are the outsiders, the people who have removed themselves from the people of God socially and religiously, the tax collectors and sinners, the outsiders, were approaching Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these were the insiders, the good guys, were complaining. And they said, this man, this Jesus guy, welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so there's this complaint happening uh, in, their, in their hearts, in their minds. Why? The Pharisees, the good religious people, are scandalized by the fact that Jesus is drawing in sinners. And, uh, and they don't know what to do with that because those sinners had removed themselves from the people of God. The tax collectors said, no, no, we're not, Jews, we're not with the Jews anymore. We're going to side with the Romans, and we're going to help support the Roman overlords. And all the ethnic Jews are looking at them thinking, why on earth would you do that? You're not one of us anymore. So, so the same thing is with the sinners, is these people are the ones who did not follow God's laws anymore. They're living their own direction. And so the people who are in trying to follow God's laws, they're looking at them thinking, you've removed yourself from us. And so now they're seeing Rabbi Jesus come along and welcome these people in or draw these people in to his teaching, and they can't understand why on earth would Jesus be talking to those people or trying to draw in those people? What could he have to do with them? And so that's what's happening in the background here. And so Jesus tells a series of parables concerning why he would try to draw in these outsiders, these people who removed themselves from God's people. He's saying, I want you to know why I'm drawing them in. And so he tells a series of parables. There's three of them here. There's one about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and two lost sons. And, uh, and in each of these, the point of what he's getting at, it's kind of a progression. He had 99, he had 100 sheep, 99 of them were there, and, uh, and one went astray. And, or 99 sheep, whatever. He had sheep, and one went astray. And then what he did is he left all the rest of his many sheep, all of his replacements, all of his extras, and sought after this one sheep. And he came back rejoicing over the fact that he found this lost sheep. And he's like, you guys would do the same thing. So, too, and gets a kind of a progression of less. He's like, there's a woman who had 10 silver coins, and she lost one of them. And so, what did she do? She left the nine, and she scoured the house, searching everywhere for this lost coin. And when she found it, she called all her friends to celebrate with her that she found this lost coin. And so, too, does God feel that same way about a sinner who repents, someone who was removed from the people of God and is brought back into the people of God, and God sees that and rejoices? That's what Jesus is getting at. So now he's come to this third one in this same parable, or in this same stream of parables, and it's about two lost sons. And the first one was this one who seemingly removed himself from the people of God. And the point of all this is to show you and me how near and dear to God's heart the repentance of a sinner is. And so first, what we're going to see is the son who rejects boundaries. So, in verse 11, what do we see? We see this man who had two sons. And here's what the younger of them does. He goes to his father and says, 
give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. What he just said is, Dad, even though you're alive, get that will out now. I'm heading out. Give me, give me the stuff that's coming to me. Now, it's unconventional. Like, we would recognize this is not common, right? Like, even if this is, like, dispersions had ever happened early at any point, it's unconventional. It's not the standard way things go. Like, typically, the will has come out after someone passes away. Then everyone gathers around, and you read the will and figure all that stuff out, right? But here, he is coming, this young son is coming to his father, and he's like, no, no. I want what's mine now. So, you know, if you really stop and think about it, what he's telling his dad, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Dad, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with this family. You're dead to me. Give me what's mine. I want to go my own way. That's what he's telling his dad here. And the clear takeaway for you and me, just as a, not as a side note, but as an, as an aside from the story of the narrative here, is, is there is a clear takeaway for you and me with respect to our relationship with God, right? There's a clear takeaway for this. Why? Because all sin departing from God is a rejection of God himself. It's not just, I'm just, you know, I'm just being a little bad, or I'm, it, it's okay, I'm just, uh, like, God will forgive me anyway, or or, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I just, you know, I just fudged this, or I just lashed out in this way, but it's not that big of a deal. Like, no, no, no. What this text is telling us, what Jesus is teaching us, is that all sin is a rejection of God, ultimately. Whenever you and I choose to sin, or depart from what we know that God desires us to do, we are rejecting the good giver of His Word. That's what we're doing. We're saying our ways are better than your ways. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, right? God gave a very clear instruction to Adam and Eve, and what happened? Eve was deceived into believing that God didn't have her best interest at heart. And so she disbelieved that he was good, and so she rejected him and said, I'm going to go my own direction. All sin is ultimately a rejection of God. And ultimately, what was this young son wanting? Well, we, we learn what he wanted by what he did after he got his stuff. So check it out. Look at verse 13. All right, uh, verse, verse 12 is, the, okay, well, the dad distributed the assets to the son, which He's the younger son back then, so he would have gotten one-third of the estate. The older son got two-thirds of the estate. And so he would have gotten one-third of this, whole, this man's estate. So he would have sell, sold it off, given it to the young son. And now the young son, not many days later, gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. What that tells us, what this young son desired was autonomy without accountability. That's what he wanted. He wanted to forge his own path, to be able to make his own decisions, to be able to decide what ethics are right for him, what morals are good for him, what causes are good for him, with zero accountability attached to it whatsoever. That's what he desired. And so he was going to move out with this money, and he was forging his own way, and he thought this ultimate freedom was going to be exactly what he desired, exactly what he needed, right? He wanted to live however he desired with no one to call him out 
in any manner whatsoever. Now, I was listening to NPR this week, uh, which I love NPR. And uh, it's just fascinating. It's a lot of st- anyways, that, not important. But anyways, I was listening to NPR this week. And uh, there was a conversation with a woman who grew up as in uh, a cultural Jew. And, and like she was never like really religious about it. But she just kind of had that cultural heritage, and and but she 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 didn't really cling to it. And so it, it wasn't until her mid thirties or so that that after like searching for meaning in her life, she came back around to rediscover her Jewish heritage. And all of a sudden, when she got there, she saw this old religion of Judaism, and 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 she began to light up by saying like, "Wait a second, there may be something in like like." what's happening in the Old Testament. Like, and for her, it's the Scripture. It's not just the Old Testament. But, but for her, in the Scripture, she's like, there's all this, this community of faith, these people who are gathered together under one religion, under like one set of ethics, where we're pushing together. And like, she's like kind of finding value in her old religion again. And, and so she was, she was discussing this with the host, and, and, and she made this really like She's a very smart woman. She worked in the White House at one point. And so she made this really astute observation in that the host was talking about her own religious views. And she said she grew up Presbyterian but didn't really hold to it and left that faith long ago. And so now what she does is she functionally picks and chooses from good parts from other things. And so she's like, I, my religious faith consists of a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of general spirituality, a little bit of Catholic guilt. And so she kind of has all these different areas of things that like she picks and chooses from for her religion. And, and this woman points out in something that I thought was amazing. Like, now this woman, she didn't, she, I, strangely, she doesn't believe in God. It's a weird thing, but, but she still in many, and so in many ways, many ways remains very secular. But She's like, listen, when you are trying to choose like a religion or follow something like that that's going to affect your life, to make you a better person, that's what she was going after, to be a better person, if you don't stick with one system and you try to pick and choose from all these other systems of faith, she's like, that will never work for you. It'll never do anything for you to make you a better person, to progress your life forward. It's only going to serve to reinforce who you are today. It's only going to reinforce what you think, what you already believe, how you already act. Because if something comes against what you think, then you're going to disregard that. You're going to find something else that fits what you already think. It's just an echo chamber. It's just like your Facebook, right? It's like that's what's going to happen if you choose more than one system. And you know what's actually true, right? Is she's absolutely right. She is 100% correct. She said this, if you choose from more than one system of faith, then it's simply a deification of yourself. You are the deciding point of what's right and what's not right in your own life. And even though she's in a different religion than us, she's absolutely correct in that what religion does, what our religion does, is it brings us together under one ethic, one teaching, one person to follow, within our religion, there are, there is grace and there is forgiveness from one true God who sent His Son to come and die for us, but then He calls us to follow Him. And so there, is, there, are, there are ethics, and there's also accountability in it. It says, when you're erring from it, but what this young man wanted was the mindset of that host, I've said, I'm going to live my own path. 
I'm going to choose what's best for my life. My father is not going to dictate rules or ideas or ethics to me. I'm going to choose for myself what's best for me. And so he headed out on his own for autonomy without accountability. And so therefore, he rejected his father and he rejected his father's ways. He rejected his father's teachings. He declared him dead and set off for a distant country. That's what happened with him. Now, that was the first thing kind of we see under the sun is the rejection of his father. But the second thing is I want you to see under the, under the heading of this young son is look at the trajectory of sin. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he spent everything... A severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? And so here's the trajectory of this dude's sin. So what did he do? He rejected his father, rejected his father's teaching, said, I'm heading out. I'm deciding for myself what's going to be good for my life. And, uh, and where did he end up? Well, he ended up sp- spending all of his money. He got in such a bad position that when something bad actually happened, he had no savings fund or anything to help him out. So this severe famine, life hit him when he was out on his own, away from his father, away from his family, and life hit him. This severe famine came, and he had to go find a job. He's like, I, I can't find a job anywhere. And so what did he do? He ended up getting a job for a Gentile feeding pigs or taking care of pigs. Now, for you and me, we're like, nah, whatever. I mean, just another animal. For them, this was horrific. The idea of a Jewish person going to get a job to take care of pigs was absolutely unheard of. You know why? Pigs were unclean. They were unclean animals. God made it very known to all of His people. You, they, it's not pigs specifically, but They were part of the unclean animals. And so all of Jewish life, you had to follow certain rules. And one of the things you had to do was you had to stay away from unclean animals, to not eat them. Well, pigs are prime example of unclean animals. And so no Jewish person would ever be around these animals. But this dude, the job that he could find because of where he was in his life was taking care of these pigs. But not only was he taking care of pigs, but what that meant was his boss was a Gentile. What that means is that he is removing himself from God's people increasingly so. Not only is he rejecting his father, rejecting his father's teachings, he's moving to a different country away from his people's land. Now he's going to work to take care of unclean animals, and he's, his boss is a Gentile, which means he's not going to be able to observe the Sabbath anymore, and he's not going to have the welfare that God set up for his people in the law. And so he's out here, and he's driven his life to a position to where he is completely removed from his people, completely removed from his family, completely removed from his God, and he is left stranded. No one's helping this guy. 
And look what he says. He's reached the lowest of the low point in his life. Why? Because he looks at these pigs with envy. He looks at them and he says, how I long to eat what these pigs are eating. I'm jealous of these pigs. That's the position that he's in in his life. And I don't know if you've been in this kind of position or not. I don't know if you have reached this point. See, you and I, to one degree or another, have all been the younger son. You and I, to one degree or another, have all rejected God because all of us are sinners. And what do we say? All sin is a rejection of God. And so everyone in this room, in one sense, is the younger son. But there are some of us in this room for whom the story and the trajectory of this younger son sounds very familiar to your own story. And there's good news. Because what we see here in this younger son is that there is a path back to the father. You see, look what the son says. He's at this lowest point in his life. Look at verse 17. He's like, when I, he, he's at this point, he's, he began to take stock of his life. And he starts assessing. He's like, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. And so he's, he's beginning to assess the decisions he's made in his life. This, the, the circumstances that he's found himself in is causing his heart to say, wait, 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 wait. maybe I wasn't right. Maybe I'm not always right. Maybe, maybe there's something to what my father was telling me. And so there's, a, there's the idea of repentance is what's governing all of this chapter for Jesus in which he's teaching the how God feels about repentance. And so in this, he's saying the trajectory of sin has brought this young son to a point of finally recognizing that his ways aren't best. Maybe the path, maybe a path that comes from like outside of him, a path that's not of his own making or his own decision, the one that comes from his father or the one that, that felt at one point imposing on his life, maybe that path is actually good. You see, what is repentance? Repentance is recognizing and admitting that the Father's ways are better than yours. Repentance is recognizing and admitting that the Father's ways are better than your ways and then taking action to change the course of your life to align yourself with what God desires. That's what repentance really is. And you see in this young son the beginnings of repentance where he's taking stock over his life. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Maybe, maybe what I'm thinking isn't right. Maybe what someone else, maybe what the father was saying is good. But here's the thing that stops many of us from this. Is that full repentance often, no, not often, always, requires significant humility. It requires significant humility because no one here wants to admit that you're wrong. No one wants to admit that, hey, I'm in a bad spot or that I got myself in a bad position or that I need help or that I need a way back to God. No one wants to admit that. Everyone is prideful. Everyone thinks that their way is best, right? And when you have to admit that that's wrong, that is a humbling feeling. 
But listen to James 4, 6. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Is it embarrassing? You bet it is. Is going to your wife to ask her to uh, put a passcode on your phone so that way you can't access Safari anymore? Is that embarrassing? You bet it is. It's also godly. See, the act of repentance is embarrassing. It's humbling. But God resists the proud, and He gives grace to the humble. But here's a question. Is if this young man begins to take this step towards his father, in his own mind, the question is this. Is if he returns to his dad, will his dad accept him? Even if he admits, what I did was bad. My rejection of God wasn't good. My rejection of the Father wasn't good. And I want to make things right again. I want to come back to Him. Will He even want me anymore? And many of us have said this in your own life. You're like, and I've heard people say this often like, well, you don't understand what I've done. Or you don't understand the bad things that happened in my life. Or the cross wasn't enough. Or I need to do more than, than just believe in Jesus. Like there's something else I need to do to make God love me. And listen to this. The question that you've had running in your mind is the exact same thing that's happening in this young man's life and in his, in his mind saying, if I come back, will the Father even accept me? So next, I want you to see something about the Father because reconciliation takes more than one person. It takes two. And I want you to observe something from the Father here. Look at verse 20. Actually, go back to 18. Here he's like, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to say to my dad. I'll go up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. And so he got up and went to his father. And next, here's what I want you to see. We saw the son who rejects boundaries. But now what we're going to see is the father who loves. So he got up and went to his father, verse 20. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck, kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his, ser- his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And there's a couple of observations that I want to make about this father that are noteworthy for us and for you and me, just individually. And I don't know exactly how far to take all these out in terms of like a, a major theological point, but this one's interesting is that if you go back to the beginning, he allowed the younger son to go. You see, when the son came to him and said, I don't want anything to do with you, the father said, okay, have what you want. And I don't know that God always acts that way 100% of the time, but he did here, at least in Jesus' story. And, and he didn't bind him. He didn't force him to remain or he didn't force him to stay beyond his will, but he allowed him to chase what he most desired. And, and I think there's something in that. I, I, I don't know exactly, I don't know how, again, the extent of it. 
But when the son rejected his father in favor of autonomy without accountability, the father let him chase it. And I don't know if the father said he'll reach the end or he'll reach a point that's not good. I don't know exactly what the father expected at this point, but he allowed him to go. But the second observation I want you to make is this, is that because he loved him deeply, he waited for him. And I love this. I love this. Look at verse 20. What happened? The sun came up, but while the sun was still a long way off, what happened? The father saw him. The father saw him. He was waiting on him. He was looking for him. Because if he saw him a long way off, it meant he was making regular trips to go look in the direction that the son walked off, waiting on his son to come back. And Jesus is teaching that. Like, This is how God views you. This is what God does for you. As you stray, as you wander off, as you reject Him, He's not angry in the sense that He's cutting you off forever. But what does He do? He goes and He waits out by the hill to observe and just wait for you to come back. But it gets even better, progression. Look at the third observation from this. What does He do? He jumps at the first sign of repentance. Look what happens. The son is trying to get out his plan. He says, Father, I sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get to finish his statement that he's been preparing and talking through for the past however many days he's been walking from this other country. He's been planning this out in his own mind. His dad cuts him off. He's like, quick, 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 go get good clothes for this guy. Get the best robe. He cuts him off. He jumps at the first sign of repentance. His son has humbled himself. His son is coming in the, on the embarrassing road back to his family house. Everyone there knows exactly what he's done. Everyone in the city knows exactly what he's done. And he's coming back. And the father doesn't sit there and make him grovel. The father doesn't sit there and try to embarrass him more in any sense. What happens? The son humbles himself in repentance. He's admitting the father's ways are better than his, and he's coming back to ask for forgiveness, and the father stops to limit his embarrassment. What does he do? He grabs him, takes initiative to make this son look like what he really is, a son. I love it. Because what does this father do? Fourth thing he does is he extends grace, he extends forgiveness, he extends for acceptance. Immediately, immediately the son comes, he says, Father, I've sinned, and immediately he says, you're mine. I'm going to make you look like what you are. You're with us again. And he draws him into the family. And this is what grace is. Notice this. You know who's in control over this whole thing? The father. The father is in control over this entire situation. The son comes back. He's got a request. The father decides what happens here. He's in control over whether there's forgiveness, over whether the son's brought back, over whether the son's banished, over whether the son should be sent back to the other country, over whether the son son can be brought in as as a son. Like He decides, the father decides. It's all his initiative. And what did he do with his initiative? He granted grace. He granted forgiveness. 
He granted redemption to his son, but he didn't just stop there. He didn't just say, okay, I, I forgive you. It's fine. Come on. No. What does he do? Number five, he sees excessive in his supply. Look what he does. The father comes and he puts the best robe on him. And he puts a ring on his finger, which is going to symbolize the fact that he's a son. And he puts new shoes on his feet. He's like, listen, this stuff you're wearing, not good anymore. It's muddy from the pigs. We don't want it anymore. Here, I want you to look like what you really are, a son. But then not only is he demonstrating full acceptance of his son by dressing him like one, then he gets a fattened calf out, and he says, we're having a feast, a celebration, the whole city. We're going to come party because this son whom I lost is now found. This son who was dead is now back alive again. Wagyu steaks for everyone. That's what we're doing here. And in this, I want you to recognize this. It's more than just a story from Jesus. It's more than just a parable because he's teaching you and me about how God feels and views and treats sinners who repent and return to him. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. Why? Why did God choose to adopt you into his family, to bring you in as his chosen daughter, his chosen son? Why did he bring you in in that manner? Look what it says, or listen to what it says. According to the good pleasure of his will. Because he felt like it. Isn't that amazing? Look at the way that the Father brings in sinners. And what does He do? He gives them every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why? Because He felt like it. It's amazing. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He lavished on us in the Beloved One. You see, here Paul taught the length that God went through in order to offer you and me this level of acceptance. This level of forgiveness, this level of welcome, this level of restoration, this level of adoption into His family is through the death of His Son on the cross. You see, God welcomes sinners because Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. And that's what this son learned. Like, like, there's nothing left to pay. There's nothing left to earn. There's nothing left to do in order to make God love you. He's waiting on the hill, waiting for your return. And so, how can He do that? Jesus already paid the price. It's already paid. And so, what's left for us to do? Humble ourselves and return to the Father. That's what's left. And the moment we do, He is there waiting, watching to offer forgiveness and acceptance and embrace. And so, this entire story is a call to repentance. And so, the question for you is, in what way or in what area of your life have you diverted from God's plans? In what area of your life have you rejected God? And maybe it might not be that overt, like you're like, I'm rejecting God, I hate you. No, 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 no. But maybe it's like a a way in your life in which you know it's in the back of your mind, like, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to live in this manner anymore. Maybe it's subtle. 
But what happens is when you believe in the gospel, you have the Spirit of God who comes into you to equip you, to empower you, to encourage you, and to correct you into pursuing and pursuing Jesus' heart, pursuing to be like Him. It's called walking by the Spirit. And so today, if the Spirit is speaking to you, saying this area of your life is one area that you need to repent of, where you need to recognize that you are departing from God's ways, and you need to bring yourself back in line with what God desires for you, then listen to the Spirit. Humble yourself. Embarrass yourself. Return to your Father, and what's going to happen? He is going to be there to accept you, to offer you forgiveness, and to limit your embarrassment. So in what way do you need to do that? Respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ by trusting that He's taking care of it, that the Father is waiting for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. In the first half of this parable, in which we see the way that you feel about sinners who repent. The way that you feel about us. And I pray that we would live in light of this, God, that we would pursue your heart, that we would pursue you. Because we know the way that you feel towards us. And so I pray that the Spirit would speak to us this morning, that you would bring things to mind in our hearts, in our lives that you know are departing from you or have departed from you. And I pray that you would draw us back. Give us the boldness to do what's necessary to chisel out these areas out of our lives in order to become like Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Now this morning, if you've never met Jesus, you can. He's the one who died on the cross in your place and has offered you forgiveness. And you can begin a relationship, a very real relationship with Him today. What you do is you say, Jesus, uh, you pray to Him. You say, Jesus, I heard that you died on the cross for my sins and that when you died, it, it took care of my sins. And now I want to live for you. I want to repent of the ways that I have departed from God. And I want to follow you and live like you for the rest of my days. That's how you become a Christian. And when you do that, the Spirit of God enters into you. It begins to lead you, to empower you, to equip you then to follow Jesus. And if you want to do that, I encourage you to do that right now. And if you want to pray with someone, I'm going to be on the front row over here. No, I'm not going to go to the back, but thank you, you know. And so I'll be here to pray with you if you desire to that. But next, as the band plays, you respond. How is the Spirit speaking to you in your need to repent?